You're listening to episode 41 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Adam Blitcher. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey everybody, this is Mehrban. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. And I have the honor of uh, intro- uh, interviewing Coach Adam Blitcher. Uh, for those of you who don't know Adam, he is uh, really a high-class uh, elite coach. And he his resume is basically that he's a sports psychology consultant working with uh, the top national players at the under-14 and under-16 age groups primarily. Um, and so he, he travels everywhere around the world. Uh, he works with the Danish Tennis Association, and he's responsible for uh, taking juniors to uh, just all these crazy tournaments worldwide, a lot of ITF tournaments, futures and such, and also in coaching uh, Nordic and European uh, team championships and such. I'm sure I, I missed a bunch of stuff here, but Adam uh, was awarded the Coach of the Year uh, for junior players by the Danish Tennis Association in 2013. And he was also an intern, interestingly, at the Patrick uh, Moratoglu Academy. And Moratoglu uh, is, is the coach of Serena Williams. Uh, so I'm sure he's learned a lot over there. And he has a fantastic podcast that I listen to and really enjoy called The Adam Blitcher Show. And he interviews uh, just world-class uh, coaches like himself and players as well. And uh, I, I personally learned a lot from listening to his shows. And, uh, you know, I really encourage you guys to check um, his podcast out. And uh, Adam also holds a bachelor's degree in sports and health from the University of Southern Denmark and a master's degree in sports psychology. So he really knows his stuff. Uh, Adam, uh, welcome to the show. And I really appreciate you joining uh, me today. Thanks a lot, Meban. It's uh, it's a pleasure being here. And uh, as I said, just before we uh, we aired, I think you're doing a fantastic job on your podcast as well. So it's it's a pleasure of mine being here. Thanks a lot, Adam. Thanks a lot. I mean, you've really come a great way in your career in in coaching uh, the best juniors there are um, in, in your region. And I just want to ask you first off, uh, you know, how did you get to where you are today in your tennis career? Um, so I think um, I started out accidentally. I, I fell into tennis at the age of five. My my dad was at the local club for a meeting, and I was with him and got a racket and started, you know, basically just hitting against the wall. Thought it was was funny. Then I I practiced quite a bit as a player, played a little bit uh, on the tennis Europe tour on the ITF tour, and uh, was lucky enough to to get on some trips with the the Danish Tennis Federation. And then when I was 17, I, I started playing a little bit less, coaching a little bit more. Actually, it, it was a tradition in the club that I, I grew up in that we were coaching from the age of 13. And I was very lucky to have a mentor. The, the lead coach was 
uh, ex-Fed Cup coach in Denmark and had been traveling with the with the best tennis player in Denmark, Kenneth Carlsen, on the tour. So so I had a good mentor from the start. And at 17, 18, uh, I was lucky that everyone knew me at the Danish Tennis Federation. So the transition into coaching for the federation, having camps, starting to travel with some of the better juniors, was very easy for me. So what is it about tennis that inspires and motivates you to get up and you know, coach your players to the maximum of your capabilities every single day. So I think I've been in tennis ever since I basically could walk, as I just said. And and tennis is really just a tool for me. I think what inspires me the most and what I I care about the most is, is really the human beings and following their journey and development as human beings. And then tennis is, is simply just the tool to do it. So so for me, it's just it's been excellent to to be in the sport that I love following youngsters uh, developing as human beings and then it's a great pleasure when i see them performing well on court as well yeah adam i really love that you mentioned about concentrating on uh, the development of the human being and so we had um coach of university university of virginia uh, men's tennis brian boland uh, number one team in the nation and that is exactly what he was stressing just the development of each of his players and how that really translates into uh, great players and human beings and i just wanted to comment that i think that's great that you're doing that one question that's you know fun for me is to just find out what are uh what are three things most of the world doesn't know about adam blitcher I would really love to have an answer on that. I think I'm <laughs> I'm I'm pretty outspoken on on social, um, and and I've I've been thinking about that uh, question ever since I, uh, I I saw it on the interview guide, and I really haven't come up with anything. I'm I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. And I do want to comment. Uh, you have a great uh, social media, um, you know, platform. You as Facebook, you get a lot of engagement, and uh, I you have great uh, photos and quotes and stuff. And uh, I just want to commend you on that. Yeah, it's just fantastic. So one thing that, you know, players as well as coaches should do is try their best to, you know, dissect and deconstruct uh, the best tennis performance of minds. And that is exactly what you do. Uh, it's on your uh, website as well, adamblitcher.com. And so I just want to ask you, how does one go about doing this type of in-depth study to improve themselves? I think, first of all, you need to be curious and ask a bunch of questions and really not take anything for, for granted. For granted. Um, have a beginner's mindset. I think talking to fellow coaches um, every time I get the opportunity has been fantastic for me. And I think that was one of the, the main reasons why I, I decided to start the podcast, because I thought that I had so many great discussions and conversations with fellow coaches out at tournaments. And I really wanted to share all of that knowledge that that is just shared in, in normal conversations, um, talking to other coaches. And then in the past couple of years, I think, it has inspired me so much to to follow and talk with coaches from other sports. So attending, sometimes just attending other sports practices, I especially like going just because the development of a culture is is something that we sometimes lack in the world of tennis. So, for instance, I, I follow um, football coaches um, at this point. I really like Gary Kernin. I like Nick Livett. I like uh, the SNC coach, Brett uh, Tomolo. I think all of those guys are incredibly inspiring. And I think 
going outside of tennis has has brought a lot to um, to the tennis coach that I am today. I think it's really smart to uh, studying other uh, other sports and how they have their systems and such. And uh, I apologize when you say football, do you mean uh, like uh, what, so- what American soccer? soccer? All right? Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Great. No. No problem. Do you have a favorite team? Uh, no, I'm I'm really and that that's the funny thing. I'm really not that much into soccer, uh-huh. um, but it, it's it's more like the the study of the culture and getting getting to a point where you make a good team because I really do believe that tennis is an individual sport. But all the times you see, or at least what I've seen the last couple of years out on the junior tour as well, even tennis Europe, is that the best players have a team around them even from when they're 12, 13 years old. And I do think that it's so important to keep a stable team around you so there's not too many different people involved and it's the same people in the team over a certain period of time. Yeah, I really have to agree with you there. Um, I mean, you know the, the saying that it takes a village to you know have a successful player, and it's just a lot of different elements that goes into it. You know, the mental game and conditioning, and then the coaching technique, all that stuff. So, what I want to ask you, Adam, uh, might be a tough question, but you know, knowing what you know today after coaching so many elite uh, players, and then thinking about when you played the game. What is something that you would uh, advise your younger self to help you uh, you reach even higher levels of the game? I would definitely say to myself, um, seek seek out mental help. Um, Do not think that because you feel like you're mentally weak or that you're feeling nervous or feeling scared that there is a problem with you, that it's, it's perfectly natural, just like... If you if you had never practiced your forehand, you would never think that it was weird that you were not good at it. Um, I think that that was where I got my big interest in sports psychology from because I struggled so much myself to handle expectations. I got so nervous, got so tight, and I, I really do think, and that's what I talk a lot with my players about. That of course it, it's perfectly natural. Everyone is talking about it, and I some some even say that tennis is maybe like. 80% mental. I think that's absolutely baloney. I do not believe in that. But I do think that the reason why we tend to believe so is because the time used on the mental aspect of tennis is relatively less compared to the other three performance parameters, the technical, the tactical, and the physical. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you're, you're a specialist, especially in the mental part of the game. So I think we're just going to jump right into that subject. So... Uh, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, pressure is a huge part of tennis. Uh, we've all felt that. I'm curious as to what type of mental exercises or perhaps training do you have your players go through to help them cope with uh, this uh, very important element of tennis? Um, a place where I always start with my, my players is uh, is an exercise that I call the, the party and the speeches. And um, I think it's very important for every player to decide what kind of person they want to be and also what kind of player they want to be and then commit to to being that player and being that person and then it's, it's simply my job to assist them in becoming that person and that player so that, that's that's always where we start and what, what i typically do with them i ask them about so what what is your your 10-year goal and it really doesn't matter at that point whether it's realistic or not it could be you know top 10 itf it could be top 100 atp 
maybe even number one in the world. And I'm not really judging on what they're saying. But then I asked them about, so if you reach that goal in 10 years, what are you going to do? And most of them, or if they do not say it, I'll, I'll just uh, I'll do it for them, that they will celebrate, have a party. And I say to them that, of course, either their mom or dad is going to speak. One of their siblings is going to speak. One of their fellow tennis mates is going to speak. The tennis coach, if they have an SNC coach and mental coach, they're going to speak as well. So ask them about what kind of speech they would like to hear, both in the good times. So, for instance, the mom will tell about, so in the good times, what was the attitude? Were you arrogant or were you polite? Did you remember to say thank you to all of the people that helped you? But also in the bad times, so did you still come into practice every day? Did you keep a positive attitude? And as they start to imagine this speech, I tell them that this speech is in 10 years. So it's the daily act from now and until 10 years, that's going to define those speeches. And you have the power to act in a way so you like these speeches. So, so that is typically where I start with the mental game. I really like that, Adam. I appreciate that. And I think it's extremely important for all all players to the first thing that they do, like you mentioned, is to set goals and see where they want to be. And then they can build a framework and system to try to get there, um, as opposed to just a lot of players don't really know what they want to do. And then, then you're kind of lost and you don't know how to train and such. Um, so excellent. Excellent. And I really like that. Uh, it's a, the player in the party. Is that the name? Yeah, the po- party and the speeches. Oh, party and speeches. Ah. Close. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Thanks. Thanks. Love that. That's awesome. Um, Adam, so what type of advice do you give your players before they step out on the court? So I always have, um, and that's also prior to to having them decide what kind of person and player that they want to become. We talk about what kind of player they are, talk about their strengths and the weaknesses as a part of developing their player identity. And when they know their strengths and weaknesses and how they want to construct points, both in in the service role and the receiver's role, um, I will always have them write down two or three main focuses of each match. They always have, um, they, they know all of them because I've worked with them, that they need to come to me. And, you know, three goals could be, for instance, uh, having a winning attitude, using my forehand or holding my court positioning. So it's always the players that will, will define what they will have focus on in the match. Um, if we're talking in regard to the mental aspect, uh, that will always be done before the match. Um, I would never say to a player, don't worry, don't be nervous, just go out there, play freely. You've got no expectations because I think that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think players are going to feel the nerves. I think they're going to feel p- pressure. I think in the high-intensity moments, it's completely natural to sometimes choke and to shank the balls. And I think that sometimes it's, it's misunderstood that the best players in the world, that they're always self-confident, they haven't got worries. I think it's completely natural. I think it really doesn't matter what kind of unpleasant thoughts, feelings, and emotions. It really matters what acts you're going to do, going to do while you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, Adam, uh, thanks for bringing that up as well. Uh, that, that makes me think of uh, Warinka, somebody who's already won uh, you know, Grand Slams and such, and he mentioned that in the first set of his match um, at the U.S. Open, he was so nervous that he was crying before the match, basically. And then, you know, so even the best players get nervous. And then I think the way he com- combated that was he tried to extend the point so that he would 
basically get all the nerves out of his system. So even the best players, like you said, they have nerves and they find ways to cope with it. And I appreciate you being realistic about that. So one thing that I practice uh, in the morning, which uh, makes me feel good and focus is uh, meditation. I was just curious of your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think I think meditation, I think a lot of people benefit greatly from meditation. I think it's um, it's an overused word, and I think a lot of bad practitioners have made it kind of a cliche. I think meditating and being able to detach from your thoughts is a very important part of being mentally strong. Uh, with my players, I, I just use different words. Um, we talk about radio channels. We talk about connecting the dots. So, for instance, when we're out there on the practice court, um, we try to connect the dots of how their brain is functioning. So it could, for instance, be um, – actually, I, I work with a Swedish player at one point. I think this little story will illustrate my point. So this player, he was very gifted on his hands. Um, but clearly watched too many hotshot videos and not enough uh, full-length matches. So, you know, he didn't really move his legs, and he was going for drop shots two, two meters behind the baseline, going for uh, Monfi's jumping forehands and so on. And then when he did make a bad decision and he lost the point, then you could hear him say, oh, such a bad decision. And it was clear that his coaches or parents or fellow players just said to him that he was making bad decisions. And he was often losing, though he had better skills than most of the players that he faced. So we talked about, okay, so, so when you make bad decisions and you lose the point, what radio channel is start starting to play in your brain? So after a little bit of time, he realized, so, so every time he made bad decisions, there was going to be the stupid in the head channel. And, of course, it didn't dramatically change his game or his level. But just by knowing that, okay, when I make bad decisions, I'm going to get the student in the head channel. Then he was able to detach from kind of struggling against himself and struggling against that thought. So he's able to make room for it. And then he was able to better concentrate for the next point. And I think... That's more or less the same as, as what I at least feel at the point where I've been meditating. It's not something that I do every day, and it's not really something that um, I hate to say works for me, um, but it's not something that I practice every day. You're getting calm and you're observing your thoughts. And for me, that's the same as what I'm doing with the players, just calling it um, connecting the dots and getting to know your own radio channels. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, you can call it what you will, but I mean, you're getting the same sort of, um, you know, results out of what you're doing, um, just, you know, different way. So obviously, you know, not every player will keep winning forever. So, uh, and sometimes if players, even great ones, they go on a losing streak and such. So how do you help your players deal with uh, losing streaks and, and adversity? I think, f first of all, I think every player will will eventually have losing streaks. I think our game, the game of tennis is constructed in a way where you lose a lot. I think tennis is oftentimes uh, a sport filled with a bunch of losers. If you are at a Grand, grand Slam tournament, there's going to be 127 losers and one winner. If you are, you know, if you're top 50 or that in the TP or WTA, you're most likely losing more matches during a year than you're winning. 
So I think, first of all, we need to make clear for, for the players that it is a sport where you're going to lose a lot. You're going to sometimes win more points than your opponent, but still lose. So it's, it's a completely natural thing for tennis players to feel frustrated. It's a very, very close game. So the margin is very slim and you're going to lose a lot. So even even the best players lose. Uh, there's only a couple on the males and the female side that is not losing a lot of matches during a year. And in order to get out of a losing streak, I think the first important thing is to to kind of assess. So so what is going on? Is is it too high of a level that you're competing at? Is it something technically that's wrong? Is something tactically? What what is actually going on? Because if you're just playing on a too high level and the other players are better than you, then it might be perfectly fine. So another uh, subject which I think we kind of touched upon, but I just want to kind of hammer into the details is so, um, and if maybe if you've had a player like this who they will constantly get tight on big points and they just have trouble, you know, when in the close matches, closing out matches and such. So uh, what advice would you give these types of players who struggle uh, in the big moments on how they can perform more optimally in critical situations? I think it goes back to the party and the speeches and what kind of person that they want to be in that situations. It, it Defining how you want to be in those situations is not going to magically transform your ability to perform well in high-pressure situations. But I think sometimes we, we tend to misunderstand the mental aspect. Like it, it's completely for me the same as the technical aspect. If you're if you're really struggling on your high backhands, no matter how much you're going to practice it, you, you're probably still going to struggle quite a bit on the backhands. So sometimes I experience parents contacting me and saying, wrong child, and they are kind of looking for a fix and a permanent fix so that when I've worked with their kids for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, then magically everything will be better. But I do not believe in that. I do not believe in permanent abilities, no matter whether it's a forehand or a backhand or whether it is the ability to close out matches. Because for me, it it is an ability, and it's a tra- trainable one as well. So I think it, it's actually more about finding a way when you are placed in high-pressure situations to be able to not act on the unpleasant thoughts and feelings that is arising, but keeping your focus on what's really important for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think... As you mentioned, if you're able to detach yourself from all the, the the emotions and really focus on what you need to do to execute in the particular point, then that's when you'll have the most success. So, you know, I'm very curious about uh, your a typical day in in coaches such as yourself. So, I guess the, I mean this is the question pretty much: What is a typical day in the life of coaching for Adam Blitcher? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm going to give you the the boring answer that it depends. Um, it's it's very it's very different. Um, of course, I think there is kind of two two different um, two different days. Uh, there is either the traveling days or the days at home. And uh, for instance, now I'm I'm back home in, in Denmark. I I was in Kiev with the player for two uh, 10k futures. Then unfortunately, he got hurt on the fourth day of the tournament. So so now I'm back home in Denmark, which have given me the time to. Um, to, to record a Christmas calendar that's going to come out in December. It's also given me time to work a little bit on my own put, on my own podcast. So, um, and I actually haven't, I haven't got any, uh, any on-court practice because I was supposed to be away 
um, but we'll have uh, some in the start of the next week. So when I'm home, um, if I can go on court with the players that I'm, I'm working with, it's fantastic and I love it. But I'm also doing, as you said, I'm doing quite a lot on social media. I'm doing my own tennis podcast and that takes up uh, quite a bit of time as well. Excellent. Excellent. I think you primarily coach uh, juniors in the 14 to 16 age group. I mean, there's obviously d- slight variations in uh, how you coach these uh, different age groups. And But what are, th- I would say, I'd like to ask you, what are three keys to successfully coaching juniors in f- the 14 to 16 age group? I think it's, um, there's quite a big difference on coaching boys and girls. I've mainly been coaching girls for, for the past three or four years. And which I, I enjoy the most. I think um, 14 to 16 is also an age where there's so much going on in their lives outside of the tennis courts. So, for instance, for the girls, which oftentimes mature a little bit earlier than the boys, at 14, uh, a lot of the the girls, their their classmates are starting to, to drink a bit of alcohol. Mm-hmm. They're starting to like the boys more. <laughs> so... Uh, a lot is going on outside of the court as well. Um, there's there's going to be a lot of hormones, um, not but just because they're girls, but but there are going to be a lot of hormones in the system. It's also age where they are starting to travel quite a bit, and they need to kind of figure out whether they're willing to commit to to the journey of be, being a professional tennis player, because the best players, 14, 15, they know that. It's probably going to be 10 more years of struggle, pain, not seeing your family, not seeing your friends that much. And I think it's important to have have the conversation with the players at this point and expose them to the life of being a professional tennis player. And then it's it's really up to them whether they, they want to commit to trying to be as good as they want or whether they would rather go back to Denmark, get an education, have fun with their friends and family, which is perfectly fine. But but they need to know what kind of life it is just to, to be a professional tennis player. Right, right. And so, yeah, obviously coaching, or I'm sorry, obviously traveling is really tough, uh, can be tough, especially in kids these age. And so I, I, I know it's definitely going to come down to hammering down what their goals are and, and you know, whether they want to commit. But are there any other maybe specific things that you do to help them cope with the travel as well? It's It's not like either you're born to travel or you're not born to travel. But but I do think that if you do not like traveling, if you do not like being away, if you do not like living out of a suitcase, it, it's going to be a, an extremely difficult life for you. We we had a player in Denmark called Martin Pedersen who had an unbelievable level. He was really really good. He stopped traveling on the tour was in when he was 22, and he had improved every single year, and I think he finished around 400 ATP. But then continued playing in, you know, in the Danish league and continued playing Davis Cup. And I remember that when we faced, um, it must have been Hungary, and I think he played Adrian Ungu, and he was like just inside of top 100. He took him to five sets, and the Hungarian team said that he was probably the the best uh, the best amateur in the world. So his level was extremely high, but he just d- didn't want to travel. So I think no matter how how good of a tennis player you are, if you're not prepared to do the lifestyle, 
then it really doesn't matter. And of course, you are going to learn how to travel. You're going to learn how to eat probably, stay fit while you're on the tour, stay in connection with your friends and family and all these sort of things. So of course, there is a task for me as a tennis coach to help them out with. So so how do we actually travel? How do we get to see a little bit of culture? How do we develop as human beings while we're on the tour? But I also do think that some players are, are definitely more fit to being on the tour and being able to just do the kind of work needed in order to just have a chance of eventually turning pro. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, appreciate you highlighting just how critical it is to um, being, you know, enjoying travel or at least being able to cope with it to become the best in the world. I mean, it's it's you know, you have to. So obviously you've been coaching at an extremely high level, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of other coaches uh, do their thing and stuff. So I'm just curious as to what are some mistakes, and this will really help other coaches listening to the show. Uh, what are some mistakes that you see coaches making that inhibits the growth of their players? Yeah, so I, I really wouldn't uh, like to pick on any other coaches, as I think I've, I've pretty much made all of the mistakes myself. <laughs> Um, but but what what I was really bad at in the in the start when I started out was um, ma- making I was making an environment where I I was making all of the players too independent. Um, you know when I was out at um, at tournaments I was uh, organized getting the practice balls. Uh, I was deciding where to eat and in the daily practices I was dictating too much, not asking enough questions. Uh, and I think I've, I've more or less completely reverted what I'm doing now to an extent where some of the players are getting extremely tired of me. Mm-hmm. But I do believe uh, like so, so bad that the players need to be dependent if they want to, to be on the court. If they're not able to take decisions as human beings, both on the court and outside of the court, I do not think that we as coaches can really believe that they are able to make good decisions in higher pressure situations by themselves when they are on the court. So it's it's, it's a very big thing for me to to make dependent players and be coaching in my my coaching style um, every time I can and every time I can make the players um, take decisions both on the court and off the court, I will do that. Uh, So I think that's that's probably the, the number one thing for me that I have learned that, that I was really, really bad at in the beginning. I think, you know, I, I wanted to, I, maybe I had a little bit of uh, too much of an ego, wanted to show how good I was, always dictating what was right and what was wrong. And I'm definitely talking much less when I'm coaching on court now than I used to five years ago. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's great that you realize that and improve that. And you're helping the the players uh, develop as uh, human beings that way. And it also reminds me to, again, last episode with Coach Boland, how he was mentioning that his players, uh, you know, like he lets them organize their own practices. And then, you know, if he happens to come by and watch, they're they're doing everything that they should be doing. And it's it's helping them just make the right decision. So that's great that you're doing that as well. Do you want to touch just a a tad bit on uh, technical you know, things in tennis. And I was just curious on your view. Um, let's say if, if you've had any players that, where they've had to make a fairly big technical change, um, how much uh, uh, tournament play um, do you recommend they do or how do you address uh, the development of players uh, in relation to tournament play when they change their technique? So, so first of all, 
to, to some extent, I think there there is too big of a, of a focus on technique. And to another extent, I've also watched how some coaches have made some technical changes that have just made such a big impact on a player, even at the, the highest level. So I do believe that it is extremely important. Um, but what I would generally say is that if, if the biomechanics of the shot is okay, then I very seldom touch technique. But if I do see that a player is not able to perform a skill um, or there is a risk of getting injured, I will always correct the technique. And probably I will I will do it almost no matter the circumstances and no matter when they're going to play. I think actually a lot of the times you can play tournaments and just even though you're changing technique, it's just about you as a coach talking to the player about what is really important. Because if you, as a coach, empathize that winning is important, of course they're going to do their old technique. But if they do understand that over time this is the skill that they need to develop, and for them playing tournaments now or playing practice matches is is not something that they really need to... It's not so important for them to win that, that they should just go back to what was, you know, the wrong technique. So so I think, it, of course, it depends a little bit. If it's uh, like if you're going from uh, extreme Western to a semi-Western grip, I, I would typically not uh, put a player out playing tournament, you know, right away. But I think it's, it's a lot about how confident the player is with the change. And sometimes I do really believe that you can make a technical change in five minutes and then it's just repetition from there. And okay, the player's not going to feel totally secure in matches a couple of days later or a week later. But I, I do think that sometimes we as coaches tend to hide a little bit behind the process. And when we see players in matches, we say, oh, that, that's okay, they lost, it's just a part of a process. Whereas... The best players that I've watched out on the junior tour, the Tennis Europe and ITF, they are really, really good. They win a lot of matches, but they are evolving their game as well all the time. So I do not think like you can just just take half a year out of competition, work on something and go back. Because the skill of playing matches and closing out matches and being good in match situations, that's a skill you need to constantly practice as well. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Yeah, I really appreciate that viewpoint. And I like how, you know, there's different philosophies and how much, you know, some people think that you shouldn't be playing tournaments at all. But as long as you and your coach can highlight that the long-term development is what's important, then the player will be able to, you know, focus on keeping the, the new 
change and, 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 you know, hitting it that way instead of reverting back, which would then, you know, waste a lot of time, of course. Um, we, you know, we're always curious about, uh, you know, fitness and how that really impacts a player. And I'm just curious if you could talk about, you know, just, um, broadly the types of fitness regimen that you put your players through and like kind of how you balance that with, uh, with, uh, match play and, and training. Yeah. So, so, as, as you said in the introduction, I, I have a, a bachelor's in sports and science. So I kind of, of get the concepts of, of the physical training. And I understand when I'm talking to, to the specialists, the SNC coaches, I kind of understand what they're putting the players through. But I do also think that, that it is, it is not my, my focus area. It's not my main expertise. So it's generally not something that I, do for the players i will uh, happily when we're out on tournaments trips and if they haven't got uh, the snc coach with them i will happily assist them in doing the snc work and if i need to speak to the snc coach in order to understand something i will do so but but it's generally not my responsibility with any of the players that i'm working with and if they are asking me for help i will always refer to for them to to snc coaches that are certified because I, I do think that sometimes that area is taken with a little bit. Sometimes I think players and parents underestimate how important that area is. And they tend to believe, oh, you could just do a little bit of push-ups and sit-ups and go for, for a program that your your uncle did in the in the physio room. So, and, and I do not really believe that it, that it is. So I, I think uh, what the best SNC coaches in the world are doing is, is, is fantastic. And I think the game has gotten a lot more physical during the last 10, 15 years. And the, the maturation of, of the athlete and getting an athlete to to perform well over time and develop the athlete is so essential. And I do think that is really a process. Um, I do not always think that that the, the technical aspect and the tactical aspect of, of tennis is that much of a process and something that you really should look long-term at. Of course, you should as well. But I think the physical aspect, you really need to take care of that and respect if the body is breaking down. Definitely, Adam. Well, you know, personally, my uncle's 1950 program is working very well for me. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so, now, well, there's a couple of points I want to mention from your comment. First is that I really can appreciate and, and enjoy the fact that you understand uh, how important the, the different team members are. And so this goes, again, also to your development uh, that, you know, you don't have an ego. You're not trying to tell the players that, oh, you know everything there is to know about tennis. You're delegating to the strength and fitness, strength and conditioning coach and, and all the people that know what they're doing. So that's great. And uh, also just how important fitness is. Um, you know, we had uh, Dr. Mark Kovacs on the show on episode 33, uh, just a great guy, extremely knowledgeable. And so, um, you know, I, I got actually one of his books, uh, Strength uh, Conditioning, Complete Conditioning for Tennis Players, and that has a lot of great stuff in there. But um, anyways, you know, it's just important that if you seek out, if you can, uh, you know, a, a certified specialist to if you really want to take your game, your fitness to the next level. And and you have to really know your body and then and figure out what areas you need to improve. And fitness is extremely important. If you're not feeling fit on the court, you're not going to perform well. 
Um, it's huge, uh, especially for when you get older, man. It's it's really important, <laughs> especially the stretching. It, uh, um, it, it definitely is. And let, let me just add to that. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, you know, I've been very fortunate to to get to know Mark a little bit, and fantastic. I'm going through the CTPS uh, education at uh, ITPA. So the International Tennis Performance Association is Mark's uh, strength and conditioning uh, association coaches and the ctps is the certified tennis professional specialist i think uh, which is an education that i'm going through at the moment not with the purpose of becoming an snc coach but just as you mentioned to to get a, a better understanding of what the snc work is in regard to tennis just to assist the players because it's never going to be my speciality and it is it is not what i'm going to focus on in the future either Right. Well, I, I really enjoy that you're constantly trying to learn. And I think that's something that coaches need to be doing, constantly educating themselves, bettering themselves and not stagnating. Uh, you know, things are changing every day and, and the, you know, you need to be involved with the cutting edge, uh, you know, the concepts. So one thing that, you know, you love to do and also I like to do and our audience loves uh, hearing about our um, you know, specifics about players and such. So I know that you coach a ton of great players. And so maybe if you could mention a couple of your high-performing junior players, I'm not sure if you want to identify them by name or not, and just talk about um, what makes them so successful. Uh, I think, first of all, I I haven't got any players that I I would call mine. I think that was something four or five years ago I really liked to to say this is my player and I should get all of the the fame and the pride because it, it it was me who coached that player. I think now, first of all, a lot of the players that I'm working with, um, it's it's players that have different main coaches uh, in their clubs or um, or different places where they train. So I'm more just a part of a team. Um, I've been fortunate to to travel and work a little bit with with a couple of of good guys and girls uh, from Denmark, and and I think what has I think what has striking me the most we we have got two boys who was born in 2003 in Denmark and uh, and I, I really shouldn't have any of the credit for the, these boys but I had the privilege to travel a little bit with them and both of them were in the the junior master week which is rather special and one of them made it to the finals and then lost and the other one won the first match and lost but but what I really like about these two guys is that they're so competitive it, it's really unbelievable they're so competitive and and they're still willing to develop and find new ways to improve. One of them is having a little bit of a hard time, you know, just going out there on the practice court and accepting that sometimes he needs to find areas of his game that he can improve. And then, of course, his level will drop a bit, but eventually it will get higher. But I think that is actually one of the biggest challenges for him because he wants to win so badly. But it's still so small that he really doesn't understand that when we're asking him to work on a certain element of his game, it is in a long-term view, and there will be a short-term dip. So I think the, the balance of developing the competitor and the game in the long term, that is something that I, I find extremely interesting. But I would much rather have extremely good competitors and then trying to get them to develop the game than players that are eager to always develop and is not good competitors on court. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think anyone with a strong passion and motivation, uh, th- those are the people who are going to succeed. They're going to constantly try to find ways to better themselves and, and, and win. So I think that's fantastic um, that you highlighted that. You mentioned that you you interned at the uh, Patrick Moratoglu Academy, and I probably butchered that one. But uh, um, I'm just curious as to what you learned from uh, from Coach Moratoglu, uh, who was coaching Serena Williams. Uh, a couple things that you learned that um, that have helped you. I think f- first of all, to uh, to to be fair, I think um, the coaches that I learned the most from uh, while I was at uh, Patrick Moratoglu's academy, where I've actually I've been there quite a few times now, uh, is uh, the technical director Benny and the head of women's tennis uh, Bastian. But what I have noticed from Patrick is that he's extremely good at finding out what makes a player tick. So he's he's extremely good at the mental game. And getting to know how you motivate a player and how he needs to direct his messages at specific players. Then it's very big on statistics. And I think the way that he's able to dissect the game and always he's got like a relentless passion for scouting players. Mm. So... If he's out there with Serena, you you will be sure that you will see him at the matches of upcoming opponents. Even though he knows the upcoming opponents, he will he will be out there, look for small tells that he can go back to Serena and say, okay, so I saw this yesterday, and what I want you to do now is to exploit that with this and this. So I think he's, he's extremely good, and I think what he's been able to build uh, in south of France now with his academy and everything he's doing for tennis is is, is next to none. It's 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 really, really impressive. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I I, I enjoy that you mentioned uh, the the specific, specificity in, in scouting each, each player, and even though you think you might know them, uh, everyone's always changing, so it's important to analyze the players. And so then I also want to ask you, um, you know, you mentioned how you focus on the strengths of your player um, before going out into matches and stuff, but uh, and that's hugely important. But do, do you also go over kind of just the strengths and weaknesses of the of the opponent usually and, and things like that as well? If we have the the opportunity to scout upcoming opponents, we will of course have a talk about how they can can use the strengths to exploit the weaknesses of the opponents. But oftentimes, when we're at, at tournaments, if I got four or five players with me, it's 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 rather difficult to really scout the opponents. Sometimes I send other players and I I tell them what to look for, and then we kind of have a teamwork around how we can how we can scout for important stuff and tells. And otherwise, you know, sometimes, of course, this is not uh, something that I, I, I'm supposed to say. But, but you know, sometimes I, I get to coach a little bit um, in matches and uh, then the players will, will get a little tell from that. Huh. Excellent. Excellent. And so as we mentioned in the intro, uh, you know, Adam, you have a fantastic podcast called The Adam Blitcher Show uh, where you uh, interview uh, tennis experts and uh, players on, on the game and try to deconstruct how they succeed. Uh, which is something I, you know, love doing as well. Talking to you today, um, and so I'm curious. Uh, you've interviewed some great uh, people on the show, but uh, which interview on your podcast is your all-time favorite? That's a tough question, uh, and why? 
Yeah, I guess if if uh, if I brought you on my own show and, and I asked you the same question, you would have a have a tough time answering yeah. it yourself. So, so I, I can't mention one episode in particular that uh, that is my favorite, but but I would say that there are certain episodes that I'm always recommending to different groups. So, for instance, for for every tennis parent, I ask them to go and listen to Steve Johnson Senior. I think he's he's just excellent. He's been a tennis coach himself for 35 years. He's uh, you know he's raised his son to to be a, a top 30 player in the world. And I think his his values and his reasons why they chose for Steve to attend college, even though he might actually have been too good of a player, is is amazing. Uh, he talked about how his fitness level was not he was not ready to go on the tour physically. But the most important factor in the decision to attend college was that he was not mature enough and he was afraid that Steve would just get killed out on tour. Mm-hmm. Very interesting insight on that. A lot of people don't factor in the, the maturity level when they're deciding where to go pro or not. And this is... Should, should, I, should I mention uh, a couple of more that I often recommend? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, so in, in general, for um, for everyone who's in, in high-performance sport, I think, uh, and I, I'm sure you, you know the guy as well, Alistair McCall. Yes. I think, you know, he's a sports performance specialist and he's always interesting no matter what he's he's talking about. He's, he's talking a lot about in, in the interview I had with him about the one percent percentages and everything that is, is basically in your control. Uh, I think he's, he's so inspiring and, and everyone can basically get to learn from him. Then I think, um, I think Dan Kiernan, um, if we talk about philosophy and developing human beings and tennis players, I think he's excellent. I think I've, I've been to his academy as well. And um what 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 this guy is doing is quite unique, and I would you know, if if I ever have kids that wants to play tennis, I would send them to him immediately because he's he's such a good human being, and he has a very clear focus and and a purpose with every player that when they leave his academy, no matter how how good they are becoming as tennis players, he wants them to have a clear set of values. And he wants them to succeed in life, no matter whether it's going to be in tennis or in something different. Fantastic, Adam. I'll definitely have all these episodes that you mentioned in the show notes. Uh, We also had Alistair uh, on the show, I think, after you did. But, um, yeah, he's a great guy and a lot of great insights um, uh, in training uh, elite athletes. Great advice for coaches and players alike. This next question I'm going to modify because of how tough the previous question was. But uh, what are a couple pieces of advice that you can remember from your podcast guests that uh, that really resonated with you and that you think are very helpful? Um, hard to to give out again uh, single single pieces, but I think I've, I've now recorded a little bit more than fifty hours of, of content, and I think there are certain themes that is repeated over and over. I think um, especially when when creating a new coach-player relationship, it tends to to be very important to lay out clear standards and expectations in the coaching relation from the start, sometimes even before you step out onto the court. I think that is sometimes that it's something that I myself early at it. I started out too kind of soft and weak, and then when I set high expectations like a month in the relationship, 
it kind of became a little bit tricky. So I think I've been I've become a lot better at uh, being very clear from the start. And I think that is 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 a main thing that a lot of the coaches from tour uh, have said over and over. I like that much in the same way that the the player has to you know set their goals from the beginning. It's also the coach setting their goals and expectations with the player as well. Um, fantastic. And so, as you also mentioned, you're planning to release uh, what's called Adam's Advice. Uh, and can you tell us about uh, a little bit more about that? Uh, I sure can. Uh, I think I've already mentioned a couple of the the main themes in uh, in Adam's Advice. It uh, it's a Christmas calendar, a tennis player's uh, Christmas calendar. It's going to be me talking to the camera and trying to sports psychology. I think, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, that it is a myth that that you need to be high in self confidence. That you you cannot be be worried when you're out there. It's not all right to feel anxious in the in the big moments. And also, just simply that the best players in the world that they are always motivated. Excellent. That sounds great, Adam. Um, so I'm gonna ask you a few more questions uh, if you have time and don't mind. Um, so maybe personal questions, but. Not too personal, <laughs> um, but so what are three books that you would give uh, give as a gift to your tennis players? <sighs> There's so that's many. The, that, that, yeah, that's a good question. I think, I think Mental Gym. Uh, is it called Mental Gym? I think it's called Mental Gym by uh, Gary Mack. Mm-hmm. Is an easy read on just being a great athlete. And living as an athlete, I think Alistair McCall's book, uh, Seven Keys of Being a Great Coach. I think actually I would give that to a lot of athletes as well, because that is as well very actionable. And everything that he is mentioning is something that is within your control. And I do think that that the margin is, is getting slimmer and slimmer in tennis. I think everyone is is physical beast out there now. I think technically with all of the video analysis and everyone being aware of the biomechanics of each shot, I think there's so little room for improvement. And if you want to become one of the, the 100 players or so as a male or a female making a living from, from playing tennis, I think you need to control all of the controllables. A lot of the best performers in minds, you know, well, some of them, they have a morning routine. So I was curious if you have a morning routine that you like to follow. Uh, I do. Um, it's not always that uh, that I have the, the opportunity to do so. Um, but I like to, to rise early in the morning uh, and have complete silence uh, for the first hour or so. Uh, drink my coffee. Uh, the, the one social media platform that, that I enjoy the most is Twitter. Um, so I like to check that in the morning, get updated on what has happened in, in the world of tennis. I, I enjoy getting the views of Brad Gilbert, Darren Cahill and Manus Norman. Um, and then I got a couple of, of tennis journalists, uh, David Law, Courtney McGuire, Ben Rothenberg. I all, I think that they're amazing. They also got, um, David Law has got a tennis podcast as well called uh, the tennis podcast and ben rothenberg and courtney has got um no chances remaining i think you're right yes a podcast that i enjoy listening to as well excellent excellent uh 
Just curious, you know, uh, I don't know what type of coffee they have in, in Odense, but uh, what, what's your favorite type of coffee <laughs> or brand? Um, s- sometimes it's just instant and sometimes from a machine really doesn't matter. Okay. I'm not, not, not too critical on, on, on that, but it's it's important. Also, my, my players know whenever we're on, on trips to, to Fijian countries that in, in the morning I, I like my coffee and I like to have a little bit of silence whenever I can. And then uh, then during the day we talk a little bit more. Yeah, I just I also love rising early in the morning and just having the uh, silence where I can think and figure out uh, what I want to do and and relax and it's it's great to also get things accomplished in the morning. And then you you feel great going into the rest of the day. So uh, I think that's fantastic, Adam. So where can our audience find you online uh, and also in person? Um, online, depending a little bit on who you are and what, what your interest is. Um, as you mentioned, I got, uh, got a tennis podcast as well, a little bit like yourself, uh, trying to, to dissect and deconstruct high performance in, in tennis, uh, talking to different coaches, SNC coaches, mental toughness experts, parents of players. Um, so if you're interested in that, if you're a tennis player yourself or parent or coach, you can go there. Otherwise, I think on Facebook, uh, mainly for coaches, I'm writing three posts a week on whatever is, is on my mind, uh, trying to make it as practical as possible. And on Twitter, um, I'm interacting as much as possible with fellow coaches. So ping me on Twitter if you you want to talk. I'm always willing to to learn new and learn new faces. And then I think in Instagram is is mostly for the youngsters. Um, a collection of pictures of what's going on whenever we are out traveling. There's always a lot of fun going on. For instance, in Kiev. They were not able to speak one word in English, so we were communicating via Google Translate. So, so oftentimes when we're out traveling, there, there's a lot of fun going on. And and if you want to, to follow that, then it's it's on Instagram. Fantastic, Adam. A um, couple more questions. Um, one is I saw a great uh, video of, of um, yeah, I think it was your one-year anniversary for your podcast, and you had all the guests that you, you've had, great guests, and then... I'm curious as to if you could just uh, talk about a couple of the new o- upcoming guests that were on that video as well. Yeah, um, I think uh, the one that, that comes to my mind first is uh, Jeff Coetzee. I think uh, if, if you want me to to, to pick one that uh, that is probably, I wouldn't be fair to the other ones to say that it's <laughs> one of the best ones, but I, I was so excited when I talked to him. Uh, he's a double specialist. He played himself on tour. He is coaching four guys at the moment, which is uh, is kind of rare out on tour. I think he, he was extremely good at being straight to the point. And I learned so much about doubles, um, the basics of doubles. And he, he got into a lot of details about why the Bryan brothers are the best team ever. So so I'm really excited to, to read that. And on the top of my mind, that, that is the one that I'm most excited about. Um, I have for a long time. I've been um, been trying to reach out for Andy Brandy. Uh, a lot of the coaches that I've talked to have, in some way or another, been in touch with him, and he's gotten so much praise from all the other coaches. I was able to to get to him. We had uh, a rather short interview, but I think he is saying a lot of clever words as well. 
One last question for you that I love asking our go uh, our guests, so I I ask them all the time is um, what is one uh, piece of key advice that you would give our audience to help them improve their tennis games? Be a student of the game. I think you you asked me uh, about what books I would give to uh, to my players. I think there is so much information on different kinds of social media platforms today and there's there's a lot of bullshit but there's also a lot of of high yield material and i think it it can be kind of hard to to go through the jungle of material but but keep looking out and and sometimes do not be afraid to just simply go on the tennis court and and practice yourself and experience and explore the game and then you will eventually get better Wonderful, Adam. Well, I just want to say, uh, first off, I really appreciate everything you're doing. Uh, you're impacting a, a ton of uh, young players' lives uh, and all these players that listen to your show and read your material and see your posts on social and all that. And uh, you're doing an excellent job. And I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of your show. And I encourage everybody to check out uh, the Adam Blitcher show and also Adam's advice that's coming up in, uh, is it the beginning of December, Adam? Uh, yeah, it's going to go from um, from the 1st of December until the 24th. Fantastic. Yes. So, guys, check that out. And, um, you know, just best of luck with everything and hope to connect with you again soon. And all the best to you and your players, Adam. Thanks a lot, Mervan. And I just uh, would like to, to use the opportunity to, to say the same words to you. I think a lot of people that are not running podcasts have no clue about how much time it takes to, to contact guests and do interview guides, do the actual interview, edit it afterwards, put it up on, on the server and getting out on social media. So, so I really hope that all of your listeners appreciate what you're doing and the big difference that you're doing through everything you're doing in the tennis world. So uh, congratulations on that and, and thank you. Thanks, Adam. Likewise, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed my interview with Adam Blitcher, and I highly encourage you to check out Adam's podcast at The Adam Blitcher Show, as well as his new show called Adam's Advice. And I'd really appreciate it if you guys would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast using whatever podcast app you use to listen to the show. And um, I always like to leave you all with a motivational quote um, to get you guys going. Uh, speaking of which, uh, here's a great quote from Walt Disney, the man himself. And he said, the way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. It's a fantastic quote. Uh, all the uh, show notes and links from this episode uh, will be available at TennisFiles.com slash 41. Uh, that's it for me for this week, but we will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.